there's a rich man and um, he was near death and he was struggling and he knew he was gonna go to heaven and he'd worked really hard for his money all his life and he was really uh, wanting to take some of it with him to heaven. And so he began to pray uh, that he might take some of his wealth to heaven and um, an angel appears to him as, as he was praying and says, sorry, but you can't take that with you. It's not gonna happen. Like, uh, you can't do it. Um, the man just implores the angel, could you, could you just speak to the Lord and ask him like for maybe special dispensation? Um, the man continues, the angel reappears a little bit later and informs him, yes, I've, I've asked the Lord and he's given you a one-time exception. You can have, um, you can take some of your wealth to heaven. So soon after, so what happens is the man, he packs his suitcase, he knows he's gonna die soon and he puts some of his wealth in his suitcase and puts it by his bed and then um, just a little bit later he, he dies. And, and so he shows up at the gates of heaven and uh, St. Peter meets him there and he's holding his suitcase with his wealth and he says, hold on, you can't bring that in here. It's not, you can't do that. It's, this, this is not a place for that. Uh, and, and so, so he says, no, I have special dispensation from the Lord. Like an angel appeared to me and he said that he asked the Lord and the Lord said it was, it was okay. Peter says, wait right here. And he goes and he, and he checks with the Lord and um, St. Peter checks, comes back and he says, okay, you're right. You're allowed one carry-on bag. <laughs> but I'm supposed to check the contents to make sure before letting it through. So St. Peter opens the suitcase to inspect the worldly items that the man found too precious to leave behind and Peter looks up at the man as he looks at what's in his suitcase and says, these are gold bars. You mean to tell me you brought pavement? Some of you will get that over lunch. The question we have to ask ourselves today is, what are you taking to heaven with you? What are you taking to heaven with you? When you go, a lot of people think we don't take anything to heaven. You do take some things to heaven. Heaven is a place that really is impacted by the way we live today. We just finished this annual series that we do about legacy called What Matters Most, and it is a, a really important kind of series that we do every year because it makes us think about the most important things, the things that matter most. Because here's the truth, there's a lot of things that don't really matter very much. Don't you agree? Things like Netflix, the Hallmark Channel. Well, well I know, I know, I know, I know. There's things that don't matter like social media and things that are all over the internet. There are things that don't matter even I mean, I hate to tell you this, even whether or not the Longhorns make the final four, it's, it doesn't matter that much. I know, this is the problem. This is why I'm here, I'm your pastor. I'm trying to root that idolatry out of your life. And then, <laughs> but there are things that really do matter that we need to think about. We need to think about the things that matter most. 
And it's what we've called a legacy. And a simple definition of legacy is a life that lives beyond me. It affects somebody else besides me. We all experience this gravitational pull towards things that don't matter. We need to remember God has a purpose. Everybody say purpose. There is a purpose for this life. And it has a lot to do with the next life. And I'm here to help remind you of that every day. There's a really powerful passage that I want to begin with today. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. If you want to follow along in the message notes, you can use the QR code there. <clears throat> but this is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he's encouraging him, here's how I want you to train the believers. Here's how I want you to help them think, all right? Here it is. Come on, go with me. Command those who are rich in this present world, he says. Ooh, in this present world. That kind of indicates there's another world. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything What's that line right there? Do you see it? What's that line right there? For what? Our enjoyment. Listen, don't mistake this. God is interested in you having joy in your life. He wants you to enjoy things. He wants you to enjoy the, the football games. He wants you to enjoy the things that money can buy. He wants you to have joy in your life. He, he wants you to... He wants you to have this experience of the Holy Spirit helping you have joy even when your bank account is less full, though. He wants you to find joy even when you are in a difficult season and you remember what's really important. He wants you to find joy even in the persevering struggles that you and I face. See, now that's, those are supernatural things that happen that only God can do in a human heart. So often, we want to love things and use people. It's backwards. God wants us to love people and use things to bless them. This is how God wants us to function. He wants us to act. He says, don't be arrogant, nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everything is yours. Just don't put your trust in it. Everything is yours. Just don't make your emotional equilibrium connected to the Longhorn schedule. Let me keep picking on you all day. Command them to do, because I'm preparing you. You know, the, the list comes out today. I think it, like at 11. And, yeah, noon Eastern. Yeah, I know. I need to hurry. Get going. <laughs> you keep doing that, I'm going to preach harder. <laughs> he, says, he says this. He says, command them to do good. To be rich in, what does it say? Say it out loud. It's like, good deeds. To be rich in good deeds. So powerful. And to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the, the coming age. The coming age. There's an age that is to come so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's another life that is in existence here. Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich, make sure. And as soon as I read that, some of you are like, oh, he's not talking to me because I ain't rich. You forget that you are among the richest in the world by the simple fact that you live in this country. Paul introduces a topic here that Jesus uses across the Gospels. And it's the main motivation for making a difference in the world. If you're going to make a difference in the world, what is the main motivation? I'll tell you in a word. Heaven. It's heaven. See, you're not, you're not going to spend the vast majority of your life on this side, here in this world, in this life. You're actually going to spend the majority of your life on the other side. And we forget that so often. Eternity is at stake. Everything in this life is really about the next life. It's a process of getting ready for the next life. This is the main motivation for generosity, to do good deeds, to, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous. But the truth, in, the truth is, heaven has really gotten a kind of a bad rap historically. When we talk about heaven, people, you know, think, if you ask people, would you, you know, rather go there or stay here, a bunch of people would say, well, I, it's pretty good here. You know, I, I bought my dream house. It's awesome. I like it. They tend to get connected and value things here. They don't think about valuing things there. It's because they don't understand what heaven really is. Right? They, they think we'll all be playing harps and like we'll be like sitting on clouds, listening to a choir, and like uh, you know, like we'll be, we'll become fat baby cherubs, you know, playing harps, you know, with wings. Listen, that's not heaven. That that sounds like hell. <laughs> heaven is an incredible place, and you want to be there. You want to be there. In fact, wherever, whenever we do funerals, there's a, there's a moment where I, I've always been ministering to the family, and we always say if your family member, the family member you lost, could come back, they wouldn't. They wouldn't, because they've seen something, and it's an incredible and glorious place, and your eyes are opened in the presence of God and he's preparing this place for us. That's what we believe. And what I want you to think about today is that there's more to this life than this life. But in our culture, all we seem to think about is the now, right now. What's happening now? Give it to me now. What's that from? Willy Wonka, yeah. What's her name? What is it? Baruka? Varuka, I can never remember her name. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Stop it. I think this happens to me, and I think it happens to you. You know, I used to be satisfied with Amazon two-day delivery. I am so annoyed when I can't get it this afternoon. 
I am so irritated when I can't get things now that I want. You may remember a phrase made popular. I mean, it's, it, it, it was always kind of a phrase, but I think Drake, the rapper, he made it popular. Um, he's, it's called, it's, you only live once. Do you remember this? It was like several years ago. You only live once. YOLO. It's a phrase, it's a phrase that people still use, although they do make fun of it now, which is, which is nice, but I'm not sure they make fun of it for the right reason. It, it kind of is initial, initially has meant, and actually the phrase goes all the way back, I did some research on it, it goes all the way back to the uh, 1800s, the 1700s, uh, the 18th century. Um, it, it, was, it was in a play, it was, it was really goes back farther than that. What you find as you look up things, humans just kind of repeat the same things over and over again throughout history. You know, this idea, we only live once, you gotta make the most of it, you gotta do everything, you know, you gotta get it all now, you gotta make it happen. And, and I think it's not actually true. I think the truth is you only live twice. <laughs> there's this life and then there's another life. I don't know if Yolt is going to catch on. I don't think it probably will. You only, I don't think it will catch on. But, you know, it's like, maybe it will. At Lazarus, that's right. If you, listen, 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 while you look at this, oh, no, put it back up there. I really like this. I like this. This is nice. If you, if you think you only live once, you'll live life in a certain way. You might live a little reckless. You may, care, you may not care much about the future. You, you'll, you'll live with the understanding that I've just got to get it all here and now. But we really should embrace the idea that we do live twice. Author of Hebrews says it this way. He says in Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, you and I will face judgment Destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. You, have a, you and I have a death date. <laughs> Hooray! <sighs> the day is coming for everybody. It'll come for you, it'll come for me. So when it does, we'll all face a judgment. In fact, the Bible teaches there are two different judgments. The first one is called the great white throne judgment. This is where you stand to face God and he'll ask you a question. And I don't know exactly what that will look like. I'm not sure how it'll all appear, but we'll all have our day in court. It'll happen to you and to me. And we'll stand before God and he's gonna ask you, he's gonna ask you a question, but it's not gonna be about our sins. For those who know Jesus, he's, he won't ask about the stuff we did wrong. He won't ask about how much the Bible you memorized. He won't ask how many times you attended one chapel. <laughs> I'll be asking, but Jesus will not be asking. He won't ask you any of these things. Here's the two judgment questions that God will ask you and me. He's going to ask, number one, what did you do with my son, Jesus? What did you do with my son, Jesus? Because he paid the price for all the other stuff that you did. All the other stuff you didn't do. 
He died on a cross. He gave you grace. It was a free act of sacrificial love. You couldn't earn it. What did you do with him? What did you do with that love? And you're going to want to say, oh, I received him. I took him. I embraced him. I lived my life with him and I gave my life in return. You're going to want to say that. And by the way, you don't have to live perfectly to give that answer. It's not about a perfect life. Jesus lived the perfect life. So he could pay for all the sins of your imperfect life. But you got to trust in him. And then if you say, I, I, I took him and I gave my life to him and I included him in everything in my life and I let him lead, God's going to say, that's the right answer, come on in. But then a lot of people don't realize there's a second judgment, a second place in scripture where God talks about the life that you've lived and it won't determine your heaven or your hell, but it'll determine what heaven is like for you. Because there's going to be something about heaven that we'll live in and we will operate in. And it's still a little bit mystery, but the second question that you'll, you and I will be asked is what did you do with your life? What did you do with your life? Jesus talked about this more than anybody. He called it the judgment seat of Christ, or Paul called it the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Here's how Jesus talked about it in Matthew 16. He says, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I really think this is an amazing understanding, a way to think about life together as we follow Jesus. Because Jesus actually says here, I'm going to pay you back. For every, it's like for every person teaching upstairs in kids' ministry today, Jesus is watching that happen, and he's seeing that it's happening. For the people making coffee today out here that you could enjoy as you came in, Jesus is noticing that. For the group leaders that are serving and having people in their home or meeting people at, at a coffee shop, Jesus is keeping a record. For the people who set up today and tear down, Jesus is preparing a reward for the people around the world giving their lives away, Jesus is watching. For the people that do all these things and more, they do it in faith, which is a key component. You do it in faith, not to, for works, not to earn something, but you do it for Jesus. He says, I'm gonna pay you back for how you lived and how you served. And our instant reaction as Americans is, no, 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 Jesus, I don't deserve it. Like, I'm not, I'm not worth it. Like, you don't need to pay me back. We're very weird about people paying us back until we're not. <laughs> he says, too bad, it's my world. This is my way, and I want to reward you. So Jesus talks about this as motivation for how we should live. Because this is an, such an important idea throughout the scriptures it's the concluding thought of the whole Bible. Think about this for a second. It's in Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible. Check it out. He says, look, I am coming soon. <laughs> Jesus is coming sooner than you think. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. 
He says, I'm bringing a reward for you. And he's like, I can't wait for this. The reward is coming with me. So as your pastor, I have the responsibility to help us prepare for that moment. Here are some ways of thinking about this life to get you and I ready for the next one. How should I think about this life? I should live with heaven on my mind. With heaven on my mind. I couldn't help but think of the Willie Nelson song. You were always on my mind. <laughs> you were always on my mind. I sounded pretty, that sounds pretty good. Like, I never tried that. It's, that was my first time trying that right there. I know you think I practice, but I don't. I just get up here and like fling it. It's amazing. Here's what I mean by this. Heaven is our home. The world is a journey to our home. It's not that the world is not important. There's, a, there's important things that happen here. But here's the truth. You don't really live here. Don't get too attached to all the things here. You're a citizen of another land, of a higher authority, of another kingdom. We are strangers and aliens in this world, but you have an eternal home. And it's important to remind ourselves, don't settle for this. Don't settle for this life and put everything you've got into this life. Don't live it all. Don't, don't make everything about what's happening here. Think about heaven. Have heaven on your mind. The Bible has kind of harsh language for the people who don't understand what this looks like. Philippians 3, 18 through 20, the apostle Paul says, for as I have always told you before and now tell you even again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul describes, he describes not only living for the now and what you want. In other words, his mind, he was describing people sometimes who their minds are set on earthly things. But what they need to do is their mind needs to be set on heavenly things. Our citizenship is there. It's not here. I know you forget this. I know we all forget this. We tend to think of ourselves as Americans and we get really embroiled in the American dialogue. We believe that our opinion is so important. We need to share it with millions. Listen, I gotta tell you, your, your opinion is not that important. I will tell you, you have a right to share it. And you should always have a right to share it as an American. I believe in that. Okay, but as a Christian, you surrender to a higher authority. As a Christian, as a person who follows Jesus, you live for another kingdom and that king has opinions and is going to have opinions about every opinion you ever had and what you did with it and what you said to people and how you treated them and what you thought about them and maybe didn't even say. See, we are citizens of another land. 
Sometimes it's tough for us to think about heaven because here is so good. For some of us, it's pretty good. Heaven, you know, is this place, but we kind of live in a mirage, earth. We think it's really this wonderful place because we don't understand really what heaven is. But here's how the writer of Hebrews described it in Hebrews 11. This is called the hall of faith. And he says, each one of us, each one of these people of faith, he's describing all these people who've died. He said, each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance and waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. One translation says aliens. One translation says strangers. He says, people who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they would have gone back anytime they wanted. But they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. It's the message version of the Bible. It kind of wakes you up if you've heard that verse before. Eugene Peterson translates it in the, out of the Hebrew into our street language. But, and, he's, and he's translating in a way that says, he's looking, God is looking for people who won't settle just for what's here, but to look to there. And my question for you today is, is that you? Is that you? The second mindset we should have is my time on earth is short. Everybody say it with me. My time on earth is short. There's a lot of language in the scripture that tells us it's short. Many of us don't feel that it's true. It seems so long, like in light, there's this, there's this life that we think we just have all this time. I don't, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but when you're a kid, it seems like everything took forever. And as soon as you like have your first kid, it's like time speeds up to warp speed. It feels like to me that I had my first child a minute ago, but instead it was 29 years. Whoa, how did that happen? James 4.14 says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Your life's like a little spray bottle. You ever go to somebody's house for a in the bathroom, you go to the bathroom and there's something there, it's a little, little spray ball that says poopery. <laughs> I always appreciate that. It's very hospitable for somebody to provide some things like that so everybody doesn't have to smell the stinky. I just wanted to graphically portray it for you. Your life is like a little spray bottle of poopery. There you go. You can take that home with you today. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll edit that video later. Your life is like a mist, the Bible says. If you think you have a lot of time here, don't squander it unwisely. If you think you only have a, a little bit of time, you tend to treat it more carefully. If you realize your life is short, you treat it with a sense of urgency Psalm 90 verse 12 says teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are help us to spend them as we should final mindset I want you to have today is I must make the most of every opportunity 
I must make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What this means is don't make the little things in life the big things. Remember what the big things really are. And heaven is the biggest thing. That word opportunity in that passage, you know what it says? It's in Greek, it's the word kairos, which is an awesome word. It's not chronos, which would be time. You're looking at your watch right now, hoping I'm landing the plane. It's not chronos, it's kairos. And kairos carries the idea like a window. It opens and then it closes. It's here, there's an opportunity, and then it's gone. That's the message of today. The days are evil. Bad things can happen. You have to take advantage of the opportunities when they show up in front of you. Don't be lazy. Don't lean back. Lean in. Have your mind set on heaven. Realize that the time is short. And make the most of every opportunity because, in fact, everything matters. Everything you do matters here. It matters here because it matters there. So I want you just to close your eyes right where you are right now. I want you to let that truth kind of settle in on you a little bit. For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you've heard many messages like that. These are true things that bring us back. (laughs) We've been focusing on other things and suddenly we are moved, pulled, refocused, redirected. I want you to be redirected today. Remember what's truly important for your life, for God's purpose in your life. And even those of you who are really struggling, really suffering right now in difficult circumstances, God has, please don't doubt it, God has a purpose that he's going to enact if you will only respond to him. Difficult circumstances come for all of us. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. That's what this world is. But the solution is not shaking your fist at God. The solution is opening your hands to God and saying, God, you're the only one who can really help me. So I want you to do that today. And if you're a person who hasn't ever heard a a message like this, I want you to let it soak in today. And let's pray together that our lives would matter. Let's pray together that what we do would be prioritized so that the important things, the significant things, the things that matter most would be done and the things that matter least would not get as much of attention as they have. So all over the room, let's pray. Father, we just come to you and we thank you that your spirit is here and you're speaking to us and you're bringing comfort, you're bringing strength, you're bringing wisdom and courage. Lord, we wanna walk out of this room with our minds set on heaven, our minds set on what you're doing 
in the earth. How you are forming and shaping and directing and purposefully planning all kinds of things. We can't always see it. We can't always understand it. But Lord, we know that what we do in response to all these things matters. We know this from your word. So today we put our hope in your word. We believe it's true. And we want to start thinking differently. We want to start acting differently. We want to we want to be yours, your kids, your children, your people. And we want to do what you're doing. We want to say what you're saying. And we want to love like you love us. Help us to do this, Lord. Help us to do this, Lord. Give us strength. Whisper to us. Tonight, as each of us lay our head on our pillow, remind us. Help us to prioritize. Help us to talk to people in our family about prioritizing our spouse or our kids or maybe a friend. Or Help us to become the people you want us to be so that one day we stand before you and we are not ashamed because we gave our lives to Jesus and we chose to do what he wanted with our lives for eternity. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.